And I love the series that we are going through in the book of Jeremiah. Now, we've been going through Jeremiah for a while now, and we actually only have three weeks left of this series. Uh, This week, next week, and then Pastor Sean will close us out the week after that. And I think this series has been good. I think it's been challenging. I think it's been convicting. I think it's been hard. But also, I think it's been a good opportunity to dig into God's Word together, into a book that probably a lot of you guys did not have not jumped into. Um, but to give you guys a recap, because some of you guys may have been here for the whole series. Has anybody been here for the whole series so far? Anybody? All right, nice, good, for, yeah. And then uh, some of you guys probably have been in and out, or maybe it's your first time. I'm glad you're here. But if you remember our first week, we actually started in the middle of the book. We started in chapter 36, and we talked a little bit about the construction of Jeremiah and the way that that book was written and put together. And then the week after that, we jumped to all the way to the beginning to chapter 1, and we talked about purpose and Jeremiah's calling. And then I had a chance to talk a little bit about grieving sin. We talked about Jeremiah 7 and what it looks like to understand the weight of sin and judgment. And then Pastor Jared was here and he talked a little bit about that cup of judgment that was going to come. That there is good things to come when there's judgment. And then last week we got to talk a little bit about Jeremiah 31 and the future hope that comes with Jeremiah and this prophecy of what is to come with Christ. Though they didn't know Christ yet, they hadn't heard that name, it was somebody that was this better hope. And today we are going to look at the event that has been leading up this whole time. We're going to be looking at four chapters of Jeremiah today, and we're not going to read through the whole thing, we're not going to read through all the chapters, but we are going to be looking at what these chapters have to say about this judgment that actually befalls uh, Judah at this time. And we are going to be starting in chapter 39, so it will be on the screens, but also if you guys scan those QR codes on your notes, you guys can follow along there, because we are going to be jumping around quite a bit. And today we're going to be talking a little bit about consequences, and what it looks like to understand that we actually have to trust in those that are over us, we have to trust in the goodness of the ones that are above us, so that ultimately we can seek guidance and we can really follow the one that is faithful for us. And so, we're starting that out by looking at the coming of Babylon, the siege of Babylon, that we've been talking about for so many chapters that Babylon is going to come and he's going to destroy this nation. It's going to come and it's going to destroy this city and it is finally at the gates of Judah and the people are refusing to believe it. They're saying, no, this isn't going to happen. But it is. And this is a real historical event. Like maybe some of you guys are sitting there and you're struggling with the believability of the Bible or the reliability. Is this actually true? And if anything, this is an event that is recorded in history books. This is something that whether you are a theologian, whether you've picked up your Bible once or you just went to history class, these are things that actually happen. And so what we're going to do is we're going to read through the first 10 verses. And it's a little bit long, so I want you guys to follow along with me. But keep in mind, these are real events. These are actual things that happened to actual people, all right? So we're going to start here in verse 1 of chapter 39. It says, In the ninth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army came against Jerusalem and besieged it. In the eleventh year of Zedekiah, in the fourth month, on the ninth day of the month, a breach was made in the city. Then all the officials of the king Babylon came and sat in the middle gate, 
Get ready for all these wild names that are about to come out of here. So there's Nergal Sar Ezer of Samgar. These sound like names from like Lord of the Rings, right? Um, and then we have Nebu Sar Sakim, the Rab Saris, Nergal Sar Ezer, the Rab Mag, and all the rest of the officers of the king of Babylon. When Zedekiah, king of Judah, and all the soldiers saw them, they fled, going out of the city at night by way of the king's garden through the gate between the two walls, and they went toward the Arabah. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued them and overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho. And when they had taken him, they brought him up to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, in Riblah, the land of Hamath, and he passed sentence on him. The king of Babylon slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah and Riblah before his eyes, and the king of Babylon slaughtered all the nobles of Judah. He put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him in chains to take him to Babylon. The Chaldeans burned the king's house and the house of the people and broke down the walls of Jerusalem. Then Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried into exile to Babylon the rest of the people who were left in the city, those who had deserted to him, and the people who remained. Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, left in the land of Judah some of the poor people who owned nothing and gave them vineyards and fields at the same time. This is a brutal scene. It's a very real scene for the people of Judah. They were expecting that God was going to deliver them from this moment. They were saying that God is going to make sure that this doesn't happen. But God was saying the complete opposite. That's not what he's been telling them for the last 38 chapters. And these people were devastated. People were killed in the streets. That the king had Zedekiah's sons taken, killed before Zedekiah's eyes, and then gouged out his eyes so that literally the last thing he saw was the death of his sons. Brutal moments. And some of you hear these things and it sounds like moments from like a horror movie, right? They're sad. They're scary things. But they're very real. And this really happened. And the interesting thing is, God tried to warn them again. Looking back in chapter 38, it says, Then Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, If you will surrender to the officials of the king of Babylon, then your life shall be spared, and this city shall not be burned with fire, and you and your house shall live. But if you do not surrender to the officials of the king of Babylon, then this city shall be given into the hands of the Chaldeans, and they shall burn it with fire, and you shall not escape from their hand. We've read warning after warning after warning, and he gives them one more shot. This is the one. This, they're going to come. All you have to do is surrender, and you guys will be okay. And they hear one thing, and they choose to do something different. This king is self-seeking. He's prideful. And his problem here is pride and disobedience. And so there's really two options of what they get to pick here. They could pick pride and thinking that they have the better option or trusting in the goodness of who God is. And this first spot, we see them pick pride. That the seed that comes with Babylon, they're choosing to say, I know what's better. I'm going to do what I think is right. I'm going to do what, God, what I want God to do. And they regret it. And so there's all this destruction happening and there's this weird passage in the middle of it. One that doesn't really seem to fit with everything that's going on. And it's this story about Abedmelech. He's this Ethiopian eunuch and uh, this weird story is pushed in here but I think it has some good purpose. So we're going to look at starting in verse 15. 
It says, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah while he was shut up in the court of the guard. Go and say to Abedmelech the Ethiopian, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will fulfill my words against the city for harm and not for good, and they shall be accomplished before you on that day. But I will deliver you on that day, declares the Lord, and you shall not be given into the hand of the men of whom you are afraid, for I will surely save you, and you shall not fall by the sword. But you shall have your life as a prize of war, because you have put your trust in me, declares the Lord. Something we didn't read, if you kind of scroll back to chapter 38, we see that there's this story about this guy, this Ethiopian eunuch, that goes and saves Jeremiah from the cistern, this place where he's going to be killed. That he pulls him out and saves him because he has more for what God has for the people of Judah. And God is saying, you were faithful, you trusted me, and because of that, you will be delivered. It's this person that isn't even an Israelite, isn't even part of God's people, yet God is delivering him. Everybody else expects deliverance because of what their background is or where they're from, but he gets deliverance because he trusts in God. That he doesn't choose pride, he chooses to trust in the goodness of who God is. Now, throughout the next couple chapters, chapters 40 and 41, we hear about a lot of different things that go on in the city and what's occurring in this land. And the people would go, and they were trying to start some sort of organized government, and there are people that are rising up out of Babylonian leadership, and there's some people that didn't like those people. And if you read through it, there's a lot of things about deception. There's these stories about people trying to assassinate other people. And eventually the governor of this area does get assassinated. And there's all this different political unrest that's happening because of the fall that has happened in Jerusalem. That there's all of these different understandings of what's going on. And the reason I tell you that, because we're not going to read through it because it's really long, but... There was so much political unrest at the time, it's not much different than what the world looks like right now. When I think of Thanksgiving, I think of all the awkward conversations I'm going to have with family members or with uh, that, one, that one family member that always wants to bring up politics at the Thanksgiving table and uh, it stresses me out like nobody's business. Thankfully, he didn't do it this year, so thank you, Lord, for listening to my prayers this time. But uh, there was this, there's, there's always this like, weird anxiety about it. And even in the world today, we think about the, what's happening with Israel and Palestine and this war and these things that are going on and this unrest that's been going on for years and these things that are hitting the news. And I can't help but look at that and think, this feels very similar that there are things that are going on in the world. There's political unrest that's happening now. And when people look at that, it can be theologically devastating. That there's so much hope put in a nation that they're not really looking to truly understand who God is. That people thought that God was going to deliver them because of their background or what they're, where they're from. When in reality, that's not what God says. At least that's not what he's saying in Jeremiah. And that happens with us all the time. That we think because we're a part of this nation that has God in our constitution that we're going to say that God's going to deliver us and that we're God's country. And in reality, God does not hold to any nation. He holds to the goodness of who he is. And that's enough. And I think people now and people then 
were mad at God. They were frustrated because they thought that God failed them. But God didn't fail them. It was their theology that failed them. And so with all this unrest and these things that are happening, you would think that ultimately these people would learn. But we're going to look and see what happens next. So we're going to look now, starting in chapter 42, we're going to look at 1 through 11. And this is the last long passage that I want to read. But I think it's important to understanding where these people are coming from. So starting in verse 1, it says, Then all the commanders of the forces in Johanan, the son of Korea, and Jezaniah, the son of Hoshiah, and all the people from the least to the greatest came near and said to Jeremiah the prophet, Let our plea for mercy come before you and pray to the Lord your God for us, for all this remnant, because we are left with but a few as your eyes see us, that the Lord your God may show us the way we should go and the thing that we should do. Jeremiah the prophet said to them, I have heard you. Behold, I will pray to the Lord your God according to your requests, and whatever the Lord answers you, I will tell you. I will keep nothing back from you. Then they said to Jeremiah, May the Lord be true and faithful witness against us if we do not act according to the word with which the Lord your God sends you to us. Whether it is good or bad, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God to whom we are sending you that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. At the end of ten days, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Then he summoned Johanan, the sons of Korea, and all the commanders of the forces who were with him, and all the people from the least to the greatest, and said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to whom you sent me to present your plea for mercy before him. If you will remain in this land, then I will build you up and not pull you down. I will plant you and not pluck you up. For I relent of the disaster that I did to you. Do not fear the king of Babylon, of whom you are afraid. Do not fear him, declares the Lord, for I am with you to save you and to deliver you from his hand. So Jeremiah brings this to the Lord, what they ask, and he goes and he says, all right, this is what you are supposed to do. That we want you to bring this before the Lord because we want to obey him. And if we disobey the Lord, may he destroy us and punish us. And so Jeremiah says, all right, sounds good. That's what you're gonna do. we're going to do. I'm going to listen to the Lord, and I'm going to convey this message to you. And he does, and he says, do not leave the land. God says, keep your people here. We will take care of you. They want to run to Egypt. Don't run to Egypt. And so, guess what they do? They run to Egypt. <laughs> I mean, how many times do they have to not listen? After, if you keep reading, it says, you're, God, you're lying. God didn't tell you this. This isn't what he said. This is, he, he wants us to go to Egypt. And I don't know how many times these people have to hear, but they are not trusting in God. They think the options that they put before them are so much better. Think about the way that this bounces back and forth between pride and trusting that the group of people that are trusting are so much smaller than the masses who live in their own pride. This is not two sides of the same coin. These are two different coins completely. See, trust and pride, they cannot exist together. And as I was doing this illustration, I couldn't think, help but think about this clip from Indiana Jones. And I showed it at Men's Bible Study for the few of you guys that were there, but some of you guys haven't seen this. So uh, check out this clip here. So if you haven't seen that movie, 
I mean, it's been out for 30 years, so I don't know how you missed it. But what happens at the, at the end of this movie is they're going after the Holy Grail, and Indy's dad has been wanting this thing. He's been searching for it all his life, and they finally get it. And they're there with the Nazis, and they can't take the Holy Grail out of this area, of this court. And so as they're taking it out, the building's falling apart, and things are coming down, and the Holy Grail is about to fall into this pit. And so the, the Nazi woman, she goes for it and Indy grabs her hand to give her a chance at life. But instead of letting it go, she seeks to grab it and she dies. And Indy has the opportunity to try the same thing. But instead, his dad looks at him and says, let it go. And instead of leaning into what he wants to do, he listens to his father, which I couldn't think of a better illustration. And so I want to think about what gave these leaders their pride, what made it so tempting, and what can we learn from it? Because we give into our pride all the time. We think that we know what's best. So what can we try to do to understand why are we giving into our pride, and what did they do at the time as well? I think the first thing was that they were living in an echo chamber. An echo chamber is a place where noise reverberates constantly and whatever exists in the echo chamber is what is always heard. So the king, he only listened to two things, himself and his advisors. And his advisors wanted to make him happy so they would tell him whatever he wanted. We see this happen a lot with churches. Churches will do this where they'll start to say, we want to be according to the Bible. And then they start setting up methods and ways and things like that. And then it starts to influence their worship and it starts to be less biblical and it starts to be more about what they want. And it starts to be, hey, every other church around us is wrong. We're the best. I think we do that all the time. Think about the people you surround yourself with. Think about that in your head real quick. Are these people that you're surrounding yourself with telling you it's okay to go get wasted? It's okay to get high whenever you want. Are they constantly telling you that it's okay to sleep around? Are they telling you that you should skip church on Sunday because you're too hungover from the night before? Are they telling you, ignore what the church put out about issue one recently and do whatever you want? How often do you listen to yourself in those moments that you tell yourself, I want to do what I think is best for me, which in reality really translates to, I want to do whatever I want to do. That if the only people you're listening to are those people or yourself, I'm going to tell you right now that you are going to deceive yourself. That God calls us to be less of ourselves and be more of him. Echo chambers can be so dangerous for our own lives. Not only were these leaders in an echo chamber, but they were dismissing advice. These leaders were warned so many times about this coming judgment, and if they didn't obey God, that Babylon was going to come. And guess what? They didn't. They dismiss things all the time. I think we like to joke around sometimes that like there's the generations before us, like they're, they're old school. They don't get it, you know. They're racist. They don't understand what's going on. I'm not going to listen to them. But I think one of the most dangerous mentalities that we can have is to say that we can't learn from those around us. That when we are challenged, we come from a generation that is easily offended. I am very much so a proponent of taking care of your mental health, of making sure to put yourself in good places, that you are making sure that you are filling yourself there, things that are healthy for you. 
But I think a lot of times we can use these things in our lives as excuses to say, no, I don't need to be challenged because that's too hard for me. Or I don't need to hear that. That's too negative for me. Or these things, they're too difficult for me to grasp. I'm going to stop listening to this person. I want to tell you right now, some of the most formative moments in my life is when I was struggling with mental health and I went to somebody else and they told me that I was doing something that was terrible for me. And I wanted to blow them off, but instead I said, all right, I'll try to fix this. And it's good. And next, we have an opportunity where you guys can regularly meet up with somebody that's not in the phase of young adulthood. Um, We have a mentorship program that some of you guys are partaking in right now. And I would love for you to participate in that. And here's the thing. Our women are doing awesome with this. Our men, guys, sign up for this. This is good. That Whether you are a male or female, sign up for this. Get paired up with a mentor. Matt Chevalier is sitting in the back. He's one of the people that's willing to be a mentor, and he would do a great job at it. You're welcome, Matt. (laughs) You guys should sign up, because I think if we dismiss advice and think that we know what's best, if we think that we know what's right, I want to tell you right now, and this is something I need to hear and some of you guys might need to hear, You are not always right. We need to put our pride aside and accept that. The last thing is that I think that the biggest problem that they had here was that they didn't understand who God is. They thought because God didn't protect their nation and deliver them from Babylon that God was failing them and lying to them. That's not true. Nowhere in Jeremiah does it say that God is going to protect them from Babylon. Nowhere in there does it say that God is going to make sure to preserve them. He's going to destroy Babylon. What he does say is if you obey my commands, then I will take care of you. I will make sure you are safe. I will make sure you're delivered. I think there's probably some people in this room that think when God doesn't give me what I want, then he's failing me. That is prideful. That is saying that you know what's best. But God is the definition of goodness. That he is the perfecter of our faith. He is the one that gives us life. He is good. And so when you read something in the text that you are particularly frustrated by, I want to tell you right now, God is good. That when you go and you say, I, I don't agree with what this person said. This person wronged me. I want to tell you right now, God is good. That when that person that was so close to you dies, and you're wondering why this happened, God is good. Never miss this, that despite our pride, despite what we think is best for us, God will always be good. That throughout the book of Jeremiah, God presents hope. Hope in one that is better than us. Hope in one that can, that can give us life. Trusting in the goodness of God is eternally better than thinking that you have a better idea. God is the most caring, most affectionate, most loving, most just, and least prideful individual ever. And he is the one that you can trust. And so when you're in a mo- situation where something is hard or it's a situation you don't understand completely, Trust that God has what is good for you. I'm going to pray for us and we're going to some small groups.
Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for the opportunity that we get to come before you to read your word. Lord, help us to trust in the goodness of who you are and the goodness of what it looks like for your word to ultimately come and to be able to permeate our hearts. And Lord, when we think about these things and when we consider these things, we're put in situations that are difficult. Help us to remember that you are good and that we can trust you. And ultimately, it's because of your son and his work on the cross. Amen, I pray. Amen.